Welcome back. This is the second hour of tonight's live Truth Jihad Radio. I'm Kevin Barrett, broadcasting live every Friday evening here at Revolution.Radio, the premier free speech network. And don't forget also to subscribe to my Substack. You get early access to all of these shows as well as all kinds of other good stuff. Well, speaking of Substack, that is a free speech platform that still allows you to question the wall of propaganda on all kinds of key issues. We just talked about Ukraine with James Perloff. And now let's move on to another massively censored issue. It's uh, it's almost reached a sort of Alice in Wonderland level, how bad this is. We're going to talk about COVID vaccines and perhaps masks as well with Steve Kirsch. Steve Kirsch is a self-described retired high-tech serial entrepreneur. He has engineering and computer science degrees from MIT, and he has become a, a leading critic of the COVID vaccines and other aspects of the COVID party line. And it's an honor to have him. His, his work has just been a huge inspiration over the past year and a half or so, however long it's been. <laughs> time flies when you're having a wonderful time with COVID. So, hey, welcome, Steve Kirsch. How are you? Uh, thanks, Kevin. It's good to be here. Yeah, well, uh, you're, you're doing great work. Now, you can turn off your video because it's wasted on the radio listeners. Uh, you and your background are looking good, though. <laughs> so, All right. Okay. So maybe we can start yeah, well, out all right. by talking about your uh, interesting career path. You did really well in the high-tech sector, and you believed the authorities, the FDA, NIH, and CDC. You went ahead and got double-vaxxed with Moderna uh, as of March uh, 2021, and then what happened? Well, I started hearing stories from my friends. And one one person wrote me and said uh, that she had three of her relatives died within a week after getting the vaccine, and they were all perfectly healthy before. And so I thought I was being pranked. And then my carpet cleaner came in about a week later, and uh, he was wearing a mask. I gave him a hard time about wearing a mask, and he said, well, I was only able to get one shot of the vaccine. I said, how come? And he said, well, I had a heart attack two minutes after I got the vaccine. And I said, wait a minute, two minutes after you got the vaccine? And he said, yeah, two minutes after the vaccine. I've been in constant pain ever since. And even today, a year later, he is still in pain uh, on a scale of eight. Uh, he says it ranges from a scale of eight to ten uh, on a scale of ten. And so uh, that... You know, there are too many coincidences there. So I started looking at the VAERS uh, data, which is the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, which is the official database where you're supposed to report adverse events from the vaccine. And what I saw was very troubling. There was no doubt about it that this is the most dangerous vaccine we have ever created, about a thousand times more deadly than smallpox. And smallpox kills about one per million uh, people uh, who are uh, fully vaccinated. And in, in this case, uh, you know, we're killing somewhere on the order of a thousand people uh, per million uh, fully vaccinated. That's one out of a thousand people? Yeah. So it, no, no, you know, wait, it, I'm sorry, is, is that per person or is it per uh, administration of vaccine? No, that's. Uh, that's per person. So uh, if you well, look good. at the deaths per dose, 
it's only about 411 or so. And that's, that's still horrific. I mean, that's, yes. that's insane. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it is insane. And you know, all those deaths are just, um, ignored uh, because there's plausible deniability on it. Oh, <laughs> you know, oh, that, it's so unfortunate that they died from a heart attack. I mean, we see this over and over and over again of people dying unexpectedly and nobody knows what the cause is and the cause of death isn't revealed and they never talk about when that person was vaccinated. And so now we're starting to see, you know, for example, we're starting to see liver, we're seeing myocarditis in kids. Never happened before. Never happened before the vaccine was rolled out to kids. We were never seeing any myocarditis in kids. Now we suddenly are. Well, what's the the cause of that? Oh, we don't know. It's very strange. And I was watching uh, someone, I think it was from Australia, and she was she's a health official, and she's saying, well, very strange. We're getting all these, like, code one emergencies and um, we just don't know the cause. Some, you know, sometimes you just can't explain things. And so people write it off as sometimes you just can't explain things. And oh, now yeah. kids in the United States and in Europe are having these uh, issues uh, with liver failure. And dang, never happened before, but... um uh, but now you have these just weird things that uh, they have no idea. Rare, severe liver damage reported in kids in the U.S. in Europe. Rare, severe liver damage. Now, how can it happen in kids in both the U.S. and Europe at the same time in massive numbers? Uh, we don't know. Or how can the embalmers report that in ni- like I I talked to one embalmer 92% of her cases she finds these blood clots that she only finds in people who are vaccinated and they're so severe that they cause you to die she's finding these in 92% of the bodies she's given to embalm uh so how do you explain that if it's not the vaccine hmm or how do you explain that in the VARES system, in, back in January, when they first started this, when they first rolled it out, back in January, there's a thousand-fold increase in the number of pulmonary embolisms, which can cause you to die. So what does the uh, uh, the CDC say? Oh, they say, well, VARES, you know, it's just a reporting system and anyone can report there, and um, you can't determine causality from it. And uh, uh, you should just ignore that. And, you know, if there was a signal, you can be assured that the, the CDC would look into it. Well, look, when when you have a rate that goes from sort of normal levels to a thousand times normal in the course of one month, that doesn't seem to ring a safety signal with the the CDC. And that happened uh, you know, a year and four months ago, so you know, 16 months ago, but they don't see any safety signals. Not for that. Not for the other. Not for thousands of adverse events that have been that are significantly elevated in the very system. So these guys are just looking the other way. 
and the physicians are basically thinking, well, it can't be the vaccine. I wonder what's causing all of these, oh, cancers. You know, the cancer, people's cancers are coming back. Um, uh, viruses that are in remissions, like shingles, coming back with a vengeance. You know, cancer coming back with a vengeance. And it was under control just before they got vaccinated. And now after they get the vaccine, suddenly it's out of control. So, so all of these things are just ignored by the medical establishment saying, geez, it's really weird. We don't know what's causing this. Wow. Well, so it's it's not just heart and circulatory issues, and, and that maybe answers partially an objection that I've heard from, uh, well, I could call him my, my publisher. I, I post uh, this show as well as other things at the UnsReview, UNZ.com. Ron Unz is, uh, he actually has a background kind of like yours. He's also a, a tech entrepreneur who did very well and is good with numbers. So anyway, Ron uh, claims that he, he looked at some numbers on heart attacks and didn't wasn't convinced that there was enough of an upswing in heart attacks to point the finger at vaccines being the cause. And therefore, he said that when I was I was throwing him uh, examples of your estimate, other people's estimates, that there are six figures worth of vaccine deaths in the U.S., he thought that couldn't be true because there didn't seem to be enough heart attack deaths. But you're saying that this is manifesting across a broad spectrum of health issues, killing people in a very large number of ways. Oh, correct. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Heart, heart attacks. I mean, there's, there's cardiac arrest, which is different from a heart attack. Uh, so those are two separate mechanisms, but you can have an inter, intracranial hemorrhage. You can die from pulmonary embolism. Uh, you can die from a DVT. Um, you could die from stroke. I mean, there, there are lots of different ways that, that, uh, uh, that people die from this disease. You can die from, you know, blood clot. Um, uh, so, uh, yeah, he's, he's just not looking at the data. He's, yeah, yeah. He's, he's like just looking at one factor. He's not, looking at the various data like we do. So I work with a group of people and we have all sorts of interesting tools that we use. And, uh, you know, the, these are specialty tools that you won't find on the internet. And so we, we can crank through the data in a way that, that nobody else can. And so we can make these, uh, all sorts of, um, interesting, uh, spreadsheets and so forth of the adverse event rates and, and once you group them together, then you find that in 2020, people died from respiratory issues. 2021, they died from circulatory issues. And the numbers are huge when you put, when you lump them, if you just look for like, you know, a, a signal from a specific symptom, then it's hard to see the signal. But when you lump them together like that, then it's very obvious that in 2020 people died from the respiratory uh, effects and, and in 2021 the deaths were primarily uh, from the circulatory system and hmm, the virus didn't change that much. It's fundamentally the same virus with the same spike protein. See, that's the thing. It's the same virus with the same spike protein. Now, they are, there are slight differences between the variants, you know, in terms of how deadly they are and in terms of what receptors they go after and 
what receptors you can use for for the drugs, but they're fundamentally they all have this you know classic spike protein on them uh, that uh, uh, that are specific to the coronavirus, and it basically um, you know sh- the, the, the viruses don't change that that fast. So the only explanation for this shift in death um, is, of course, the vaccines. I mean, look, I don't. I would love to hear from Ron Unz how he explains how the uh, the rate of of uh, reported uh, pulmonary embolisms go up by a factor of a thousand if the vaccines are certainly are are, are safe. So that, that's the actual number of uh, embolisms. This is this is not just theirs data, but this is the the actual number of embolisms in the medical data overall. This is the VAR, This is the uh, comparing VAERS, uh, oh, the reports data. in previous years versus uh, this year. Yeah. Well, one yeah. problem with, with VAERS, of course, they they always say that well, we can't really tell anything from VAERS. And even someone like Matthew Crawford, who's been on this show, points out that theoretically. Uh, every single death that occurs within, say, whatever time frame, a few months or what have you, from a uh, vaccine administration should be counted in the theirs data. Right? Sure, but, but it, and it isn't. So how? They yeah, but it's but, it, but it's not. People will only report it if they think it's uh, related. I mean, it's so it hard to get a theirs report out. Uh, uh, you know, so if, if you get just got run over by a truck, you know, someone's not going to go out and file a theirs report. You know, if you. Uh, if you, you're on a bicycle, you got, got, uh, uh, and, uh, you know, you got into a serious accident and died. It's, someone's not going to file a virus report on that. So the, um, you know, I have talked to Matthew all the time. So, it, and, and initially he was pretty skeptical when I said, look, you know, the data in virus shows pretty clearly it's at least a hundred thousand or more. And he was kind of, Saying, nah, nah, you know, I can see maybe 35,000 or so, but I'm having a tough time. Now, last conversation with, with, with Matthew, same guy. Nice guy. Uh, he's now, he's now at the, at over 100,000. And, uh, he says that, uh, the, my 400,000 number is not that unreasonable either. That's what he told me too. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's, that's, uh, frightening. And, if you're right that one out of a thousand people who's getting getting the vaccines uh, is, is killed by the vaccines, and presumably the age spread there would be lower than from COVID itself, uh, we should see that in the overall mortality data. Yeah, and, well, we, yeah. So we talk about that, the, the Indiana insurance stuff, and and what what we're seeing in the overall. Uh, death data. Yeah, in both uh, in the uh, Indiana Insurance Company, and that's a national insurance company, it's one America, and also there was a German insurer as well, and a board member of that the German company um, also, you know, revealed, holy crap, this this you know we're seeing these massive number of deaths in people who are young that we've never seen before. So so he got fired. Uh, for doing that, I think the one America CEO still still has his job. But in general, we speak out about this stuff, and uh, you end up losing your job. So, so people don't like to talk about it. In fact, one of the the embalmers that I talked to, um, who gave me one of the more interesting stats, um, she, her business dropped off like ninety percent less after she did the interview. So people don't are are very hesitant. 
to come forward with this stuff. And if you've had a loved one die, you know, there's uh, Taylor Hawkins, uh, for example, with the Foo Fighters, drummer from the Foo Fighters. So his wife has read my article on his death. And everything about his death is consistent with a vaccine death. And But for her, there's no benefit to going public about this because she, you know, she would be subject to all sorts of ridicule and, um, uh, you know, just hassle. Yeah, people, and people it's are not afraid of getting back lynched to life. on Twitter, apparently. Huh? People, people are afraid of being lynched on Twitter these yeah. days. I, I don't quite understand why, but. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, you, you know, you, you, you're not going to bring the person back to life. And. Uh, so then the question is, well, so what's the benefit? Well, the benefit is you're going to save other people. You save a lot of people's lives if you were to go forward and say, hey, my husband was killed by the vaccine. But you take a lot of flack and then you would be accused of not being a, a doctor and your doctor didn't say that he was killed by the vaccine. And then you're going to go and get discredited. And so. All of these deaths that happen, people are very afraid to, to speak out. Um, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, there's a real wall of silence around this. And you've been trying to break through that wall of silence and debate experts. And you've been sweetening your offers with, with cash uh, offers. To, you know, it, it's quite astounding how many uh, you've really only had one taker, I guess, really, the, the mask, uh, Bangladeshi mask yeah. lead author. So maybe you talk a little bit about that, how, how you've been trying to get a debate going and what the response has been. Yeah, so, uh, you know, people who are telling the truth, they love to defend their position. And people who are telling lies, they love to censor the people who want to debate them. And so we have not, all of us, would love to have a debate. You know, let's have an open discussion about the, um, about what the science says, about what the data says. And nobody wants to do it. They use excuses like, oh, Steve, you're not a doctor. Oh, Steve, you're, you're not qualified. Oh, Steve, you're not a member of the IDSA. Um, and, um, then, you know, they basically gaslight you to make you believe that you're unqualified. But that's not the reason. And we know, I, I was at the Defeat the Mandates rally in Los Angeles uh, last uh, Sunday. And I talked to people in the audience, and one of the people was a doctor at UCLA, and she's leaving UCLA. And I asked her, I said, well, she, I mean, she's leaving because of the vaccine mandates. And I asked, well, didn't you, like, talk to your department head about um, that the science doesn't support the mandate and they should reverse the mandates? And she said that she did. And the um, uh, the department head, the, the dean of medicine for her particular specialty, uh, he said that he didn't have time to look at the data and that he would just trust the CDC. Mm. Wow, so much for credentials. 
So that's yeah. So in other words, if you get if you have credentials, then that's the response that you get. And if you don't have credentials, then they look down their nose at you and say, well, you're not qualified to debate me. Right. And so no matter what, they have an excuse for not looking at the data. Just I just don't have time. <laughs> and depending on who you are, you know, it's almost like a, it's like a, a rule. They, you know, they look you up and say, oh, oh, this guy is doesn't he's not a member of the IDSA. So I can discredit him this way. Oh, a doctor can't discredit her. So I have to use the don't have time excuse. <laughs> so nothing but excuses. But but we were fortunate. I, mean, I, I keep trying. I keep trying and asking, hey, you know, can we debate you on your, your study? And so I finally got this guy, Jason, Professor Jason Abeluk, economics professor at Yale, to agree to um, uh, to talk to us on the record. I mean, I have been trying to do this for almost a year now. Finally, I get one guy to agree to defend his study. And it's a terrible study. It's a uh, the, the the claim is that, and this is the study that everybody uses to show that masks work because the Denmark study showed that masks didn't work. And then those so, are basically the only two RCTs, yeah, right? Yeah, they're the only two randomized controlled trials for COVID and masks. And so this is an important study. This is a pivotal study because if this study is debunked, then it makes the FAA look ridiculous. And, you know, all these mayors and public health officials and the CDC, it makes them all look ridiculous because they've been telling us that masks work and that, that they need to be mandated. And it's the CDC that's making the airlines uh, have these mask mandates. So if this study is debunked, then these guys look like idiots. So it's really, really important that the study doesn't get debunked. So so this is why we were like salivating when this guy accepted and he accepted because he thinks he's really smart guy and he can run circles around us dumb shits. So, so he accepted and you know, like he's going to go and show the world that we are the misinformation spreaders and we are like, we cannot believe it. This is like, you know, it's like setting a bear trap. Right. Or maybe not to bear trap. Maybe that's not the, the right example. That, but that's what they said in Ukraine for Putin. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a uh, it's like, you know, we're setting a trap here to say, hey, we want to debate you. And we're just a bunch of dumb, dumb shits that that, uh, you know, don't know anything. And, um, you know, so this guy finally takes this, this guy takes the bait. And so um, so James uh, plays Columbo. You know, so he 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 pretends to be like a total like, uh, hey, what's a randomized study and what was the study about again? You know, and so he's making it like like he's a complete idiot and he knows nothing. And so Jason is just just, you know, he's it's he's saying one thing and then he's contradicting himself and he's boasting and so forth. And then James starts to turn on the charm. And so he starts to show Jason that James knows a lot more about statistics and his study than um, than Jason does, the author. And so now now we're we have a problem here because Jason realizes, holy shit, 
you know, this, this guy's got me. So it, he lasts two hours and, uh, and, and then it ends and, and we have the whole thing on video, which is great because anyone can now see it and verify that we are telling the truth and that the, the study was a complete fraud. And I had, um, one of our, um, one of the mathematicians, uh, on our team, in uh, in the UK, professor of math looked at it. He said, "Man, this is this is bordering on fraud here as to, to to what was being done." And we've had other people that everybody who has viewed this video, who knows statistics, has said, "Wow, this study doesn't prove anything." And that's exactly right. It I doesn't prove, prove that purple masks were really good. The, well, the um, Let's see the purple cloth. Were they the bad ones? <laughs> yeah, the, no, the, the purple cloth masks were indistinguishable from the placebo group. Now, if masks really work, how could that happen? It can't. But you know, if you if you change the color of the mask, they work brilliantly well. They will have they'll have lower seropositivity with the red cloth mask. Than any other surgical mask. How does that happen? It happens because the whole thing is just random. Then, no, why were they so stupid as to bother with different colors of cloth masks and then set themselves up for this? I, that's what I don't understand. Yeah, um, that's an interesting question. I think it's because some people liked, you know, one color versus the other color, and they wanted to make people happier because they could, you know, it's like if everybody had a red dress and people didn't like red for whatever reason, then they wouldn't wear the dress, right? So this provided gay people a choice. You can have this color or that color, you know, so mm. makes it more. Yeah, so it's, it's weird that they would write that down. Like if you're testing cloth masks and surgical masks and what N90, whatever, you would think you would just write down the type of mask it was like you wouldn't even bother to record the color, but yeah. they did. And then they yeah, got they this did. huge difference. Yeah, in result. because, you know, you can do subgroup analysis uh, on it. And that's exactly what we did. And when Jason was um, was uh, when he was asked about that, he said, yeah, 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 we did a lot. No, we didn't. Yes, we did. I mean, it, he kept just hemming and hawing and going back and forth. And so. It's just really ridiculous uh, listening to this, and it's it's pretty highly it's it's highly technical for um, people who aren't uh, experts in statistics. So we I created a a kind of a a layman's version of it. I had a I I got a, a statistician on the call on a call for forty minutes, and we talked about the study, and you know we started off by saying, hey. So what do you think? Did Jason convince you in the study that masks uh, work? And he said, no, not not at all. And, you know, then then we go into the details. Um, but it's really interesting because you can see from the video and uh, because he shows you charts and he shows you the charts for the uh, the surgical mass. And there are two colors of the surgical mass. And then he shows you the colors or shows you the charts for the uh, for the cloth mask and looking at the charts um you can see that there's no statistical difference between them because the overlaps are very large and you can also see that the the curves are offset so even the 
um, the placebo group, the curves are offset from uh, from each other. So the placebo group for cloth masks is different than the placebo group for the surgical mask. Well, how can that be? How can the placebo group be any different? It's supposed to be the same. Mm-hmm. That reminds me of a study I, I was discussing with Merrill Nass the other night. This, this one from last summer that purported to be the best study showing that ivermectin doesn't work, but it turns out that, that it was conducted in Brazil and it was supposedly controlled uh, and, you know, randomized controlled, uh, you know, double blind and so on. But as it turned out, there was this really high rate of non-compliance with the protocols of the study uh, among the placebo group and a vastly lower rate. Like it was, it was a small percentage of the members of the, of the people actually got ivermectin who didn't comply properly with the protocols of the study, but it was, it was like 60% or something of the people in the, in the uh, placebo group. So obviously these people knew which group they were in. It was not uh, double blinded at all. It sounds like something similar might be going on here. Well, uh, no, you know, we're not accusing them of, um, any of the, the mischief uh, in the together trial. The together trial was a lot more complicated than this trial because of the the various arms of the trial. And, and you know, like one of the things in the get together trial is they didn't run the placebo group at the same time as the um, as the ivermectin group. So the ivermectin group was run at a time when there was a um, uh, I, the uh, let's see, they had a, a variant that was really uh, pretty bad. I forget, it's like a, uh, P, uh, like P dot one uh, variant, and uh, and so it was was a really nasty variant. But it, it didn't happen when they were doing the the placebos. So if you if the variant changes on you and you're doing your placebos first and then you do your ivermectin group. And you look at the comparison, well, you know, one group got got a mild virus, and the other group got this super nasty virus. So what do you think is going to happen? Well, the drug's going to look like it doesn't work because it's not a fair comparison. So we we didn't have any of that in in the um, in the Bangladesh study because uh, it was all done uh, at uh, all at the same time, and but. But clearly, there is a lot of noise because it was cluster randomized because they did it in villages rather than randomized individuals. So mm-hmm. not a good study, and it did not prove that masks work. And that's what we've been saying and science has been saying for decades. So no surprises. Masks don't work. Just another bad study. But I can see why the folks that you're challenging to debate you about things like whether the vaccines are safe and effective and so on, when they look at what happened to this guy who was willing to debate you about his mask study, I can see why they might become reluctant. Yeah, um, it we 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 got one, and we're you know so so far our our batting average is um, you know it's we're one for one versus zero where where the the quote good guys got zero and the misinformation spreaders are now at one. But this may be the last opportunity that we have to debate people, but we're still, we're still pressing on this. So I met with the dean of the school of science at MIT, uh, this morning and basically, uh, suggested that she had a call for a national 
debate on this because it's an important topic. It's not just at MIT. It's an important topic for everyone because all the schools are, you know, mandating vaccination or have mask policies and so forth. Now, there are a few schools that have dropped uh, all of this, but it's really a pretty small percentage. And so this is a matter of national importance. And for so I asked her, uh, hey, look, you know, you, you think the, the vaccines are safe and effective. Are you, you know, can I show you some data that would challenge your beliefs? I, I want to show you that what the data sh- uh, says. She says, no, I'm not interested. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, this is don't pretty Don't confuse funny. me with the facts. Huh? It's like, don't confuse me with the facts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't exactly, you know, you don't want to get confused with the with the facts. So. Um, so I then asked her, would she call for a debate, even though she personally doesn't want to see the data, would she call for a debate between the scientists on one side and the scientists on the other side? You know, let's let's resolve this, you know, because if you resolve it with peer reviewed paper, the problem is that your peer reviewed study doesn't get published. And I know a lot of people who are pretty frustrated about that because it's counter narrative. It's like. Why did the Denmark mass study, which showed that masks don't work, get published and it showed that they did? Answer, they couldn't get it published if it showed that mass um, uh, – if it was counter-narrative, if it showed that masks do nothing, you can't get it published. So, so they yeah. they were forced to change their conclusion to say, yep, looks like masks work. And they were able to get their study published. <laughs> hey, they must have had to massage their data a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, they, they call it p-hacking. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's that's completely crazy. Um, and, you know, I, I, I see a parallel here to the situation I was in a little over 10 years ago. I was basically uh, chased out of the University of Wisconsin specifically and really the rest of the American university system for uh, talking about aspects of 9-11 that you weren't supposed to talk about, like the evidence for controlled demolition of the Trade Center in Building 7. And uh, I challenged any teacher in the entire University of Wisconsin system to debate me, and I got some backers. Uh, They didn't offer as much money as you have. We started at $1,000, raised it to $2,000, and we opened it to anybody who taught anything in the entire university system of the state of Wisconsin down to lowly TAs. So a TA could have made $2,000 for spending uh, two hours uh, trying to defend the 9-11 Commission report uh, in a debate with me. And nobody would take it. And I th- the excuses tend to be that, well, some say, well, it's, it's it's too outrageous. You know, what you're saying is so outrageous. It's I don't even want to go there. But, you know, informally... The majority of my colleagues with whom I discussed this before I ended up in the public eye basically agreed with me or said basically what I heard from all of them was, yeah, it looks like you might be right about this. And that's why I don't want to look into it anymore. <laughs> uh, so when you have you know, a counter narrative that's going against a wall of propaganda, it's really hard to get anybody to actually defend the uh, the propaganda talking points. It's it, and, and and what kind of a free society do we have? When important things like I mean, even if it was only a one percent chance that the trade center was demolished with explosives, if it's only a one percent chance that vaccines are anywhere near as bad as you say they are, one would think 
that it would be a high priority to get a really good, uh, detailed, uh, accurate debate going about it. But no, I don't I don't think our society is even remotely uh, free anymore. That's right. Yeah. What what's happened to you for that issue is exactly the same thing that happened to Byram Bridal uh, in Canada. And he uh, was shunned by the entire faculty at his university after he went out and said these vaccines are unsafe. And he challenged them to a debate. And nobody showed up. Nobody would challenge him. They would very happily sign a statement that he's nuts, that the views do not reflect those of the university, but they would not debate him. Similarly, um, um, Byram and, and two of his friends, uh, all doctors, uh, they went and challenged the top health authorities in Canada to a debate and it was just the three of them and they said to the uh, the top authorities in Canada hey you can bring as many people as you want against the three of us so sort of like a David and Goliath kind of thing and so they went to Ontario and they showed up on schedule and there was nobody there from the other side so, again, it's chickened out. So it has nothing to do with me or my beliefs or my qualifications. It has everything to do with challenging the status quo and, and challenging the narrative. And people who are promoting a narrative that is false, um, they... And, you know, and, and it's painted, of course, to be true. Um, <laughs> and they, they just don't want to debate you. That, that's, that's about as simple as it gets. And, and I wonder if you're in a better position to eventually be proven right uh, than, than I am with regard to 9-11 in that there's a public health bureaucracy out there. There are insurance actuaries. There are all sorts of people collecting statistics about what happens to people after their vaccinations or not being vaccinated. Uh, theoretically, there should be more than enough data out there to prove whether or not you're right. And one just wonders how long they can keep hiding it. Uh, and I, I find it hard to believe that they could continue to hide it without somehow corrupting the data collection systems to a, a degree that I'm not even sure would be feasible. So thinking in those terms, how long do you think it'll be before um, these various things become undeniable? I mean, it almost looks like the vaccine's lack of efficacy is nearly becoming undeniable, especially with these latest uh, Omicron variants and so on. And in terms of the vaccine deaths, uh, that's one that theoretically should be showing up uh, in, in numbers that can't be denied. Uh, what, what's your timetable for when people are finally going to have to admit that you're right? Well, see, that's, that's the interesting question is when do people finally admit that we're right? Because the evidence now is overwhelming. The problem is that you can't get platformed 
on any mainstream media to talk about it. The New York Times isn't going to cover this. CNN is not going to cover it. 60 Minutes is not going to touch it with a 10-foot pole. And we're all going to be written off as misinformation spreaders. Sooner or later, something happens that um, that that moves the needle here. Now, it happens. It can happen quite slowly. Um, you know the way things are going, and you know we're progressively getting more and more people who are waking up and realizing uh, that they've been fooled. But if someone like Celine Dion were to come out and say, "Hey, m- uh, my career." was uh, basically trashed because of the vaccine. What do you think would happen? Well, she'd probably get smeared in the media, but at least it would cause a controversy. Exactly. And then it creates the opportunity for the next person to come out and say, yeah, that happened to me too. And the next person to say, yeah, that happened to me too. And so what we'd like is to get a, a me too um, uh, movement going on, but it takes someone with courage to to speak out. You know, like you know, Jimmy Dore speaks out about uh, his vaccine injury, right? Uh, for and, and he takes a lot of flack for it from the mainstreamers. Yeah, you know, Naomi Wolf went, and uh, I'm not sure that she's vaccine injured, but um, she, uh, you know, she used to be one of the good guys. And then she started speaking out against the vaccine. Now she's lost all her friends, just like I have. Not, not all of them. They get replaced by hundreds of thousands of people that follow you on Substack. So now <laughs> I have now I have more more mail than I've I've had in my life. And I have when when I go to these um, uh, events like the Defeat the Mandates rally, people come up to me and say, "Thank you, thank you, thank you." So much for what you are doing because you're one of the few people who are speaking out against what is going on. And, and I can totally understand that because I, when I had a job, I was not allowed to speak out against the vaccines. And I have a job in banking. And they basically said you can't speak out against the vaccines on your spare time because it will hurt our business. And so I had to quit my job. And I founded the company. I had to quit my job in order to be able to speak freely about what I thought about the vaccines. Well, who was that? Um, I probably shouldn't say. You know, and nobody, and, and it's harder for people to find out now because I've been deplatformed from LinkedIn. So you can't find out what companies I worked at. Yeah, I, I saw that. Yeah, they're they're trying to uh, erase you from history. Yeah, now yeah. you know they on on Wikipedia. I used to have a National Caring Award. It was given to me by Hillary Clinton in Washington D.C. It's a very high honor. Four days after I came out against the vaccine, my National Caring Award disappeared from my Wikipedia profile. Hmm doesn't surprise me. I, I had a six or seven year battle with Wikipedia over these absurd, slanderous things they printed, I guess libelous on Wikipedia, sourced to an anonymous blogger. Wow. <laughs> I was a supporter of Holocaust deniers that I hadn't even heard of. Yes. Well, then it must be true because that's a 
you know, whatever source they want to attack you, that becomes a very credible source. They have no trouble using it. Whereas for me to defend myself, they said I would have to find a systematic review or meta-analysis showing that the spike protein is dangerous. And then they wrote, and good luck finding that. So in order to trash your reputation, they need, they could do it on, a, on an article from one of the fact checkers. They could do it on anything they want. In order for me to redeem my reputation, I have to come up with something that's impossible. And they know it because they make the rules. So the rules are very asymmetrical, very easy to trash you, very hard for you to repair your reputation. And then when you try to engage with them and reason with them, then they ban you for life and they, and, and then you, they, you can appeal it, of course, but there's nobody listening to the appeals. So yeah, it's, it's all controlled, uh, controlled, uh, speech and controlled narrative. Um, and you know, hey, I got banned from Twitter twice. So nobody on Twitter sees my, um, uh, my viewpoint. Right, because I am persona non grata on Twitter, on LinkedIn, on Medium, on Wikipedia. I'm just a bad dude. You know, I used to be um a good guy. I used to be um I used to have you know, all those accounts used to be active and then I started speaking out against the vaccine or I started saying that fluvoxamine worked. I mean that was my that was my crime. I told people, fluvoxamine works, you should use this thing. And Medium then censored me for, you know, banned me for life. Which is bizarre because I, I looked into that a little bit and it kind of looked like you were right about fluvoxamine. Oh, I was. There's no question I was right about. And if I had been platformed, it would have saved lives. But you see, Fauci said none of these early treatments worked. So I disagreed with Fauci, and so therefore I should be banned for life from ever having an opinion again that people will see. That's the way that medium works, and, you know, Twitter's the same way. Lots of us have been banned for life from from Twitter. Um, you know, I, I was uh, just talking to Naomi Wolf, for example, She's banned for life from Twitter, and I, and I was joking to her. I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I was at the bar in Twitter heaven, and I think I saw you there at the other end of the bar. I mean, I'm you know, <laughs> joking about our, our life in Twitter heaven uh, together, but there there are a lot of us in, in Twitter heaven, and we use it as a you know badge of honor that, yeah, you know, we we chose to, to, to speak out and speak the truth, and – um, and we're honored um, by uh, by Twitter basically saying you are now in Twitter heaven. Well, that's for life. Should, I hope I'm honoring you a bit uh, here by bringing you on Truth Jihad Radio. I've been looking for uh, truth speakers uh, for 15 years or something now. And uh, hopefully the, the connoisseurs of uh, serious truth speakers will appreciate your work if they don't already know of you. It seems to me now, though, what's happened is that the folks who are open to looking at counter narratives have kind of figured out 
that they're not going to get it in the mainstream, including mainstream social media. So they're all hip to this and they know where to go, Substack and so on, and, and read all the, the best people who are putting forth the counter narrative. However, I think what the bad guys are doing is walling off the general public so that we won't be able to reach folks the way we used to. Like back in the day, uh, Loose Change reached over 100 million people in something like a month uh, with its 9-11 truth message. And that's because at that time, the YouTube algorithm and the other algorithms were all basically honest. So they started shadow banning, and then they ratcheted up the censorship. It's been getting worse and worse. They've been boiling the frog since about 2015, 2016. And that leads me to wonder whether there's a solution to this. I mean, theoretically, it seems to me that the de facto cyber public square should operate according to more or less according to the tradition of American First Amendment jurisprudence. If it's protected speech, it's protected speech. <laughs> you know, I mean, how I, we what do we even have a First Amendment jurisprudence tradition for, if not that? Uh, but the question is, of course, how are we going to get there from here? Who's going to bell the cat? And can you think of any uh, strategies that might, uh, you know, somehow change the situation in a big way, uh, uh, bigger uh, rallies, um, getting the right people running for president. We had we had Trump sort of throw uh, up in the apple cart. What if uh, the you know Colonel Douglas McGregor and uh, RFK Jr. ran on the same ticket or something like that? Uh, what what could possibly change the situation for the better? Well, one of the things that's important. Uh, would be to re-elect Ron Johnson uh, to the Senate. Here, here, yeah, I'm in Wisconsin. And, you know, I, I was not a fan when he overthrew, when he beat Russ, Russ Feingold, who I thought was one of the not-so-bad guys in the Senate. But, hey, yeah. now uh, Johnson's even better than Feingold. Yep, yeah, absolutely. And he cares about the vaccine injured, and he's a legitimately good guy. And he's uh, running for re-election. You know, the one thing that you can do is make a contribution to his campaign. And, uh, you know, let's make sure that the uh, that uh, the Republicans get control of the Senate. Yeah. Right? Because now because once that happens, then Johnson, then he starts to have real power. Right. Because when you're in the minority, it's really tough. But when you're in the majority. You can start to do some serious damage here. And so this is um, that that would be really game changing. Right. And so that, you know, that comes up, you know, the elections happen in November and then they take office and take effect then um, a couple of months later in, in January. You know, one, one downside of electing Republicans, though, is that on the foreign policy issues or some of them, not all of them, uh, traditionally, the Republicans have actually been more dangerous. And we're at this very dangerous moment of history with this war in Ukraine. And some of the Republicans have been saying completely insane things. Yeah, we need a no-fly zone, which is basically World War Three. Uh, so well, maybe, yeah. maybe, you know, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Um, yeah. But I do know that um, getting Ron Johnson into, into the majority is going to save a lot of lives. It's going to save a lot of American lives. <laughs> as far as World War Three, you know, the the uh, it could be it's all a matter of opinion as to whether the no no fly zone is the the right thing to do or not, right? Because mm. we don't know, we don't have a crystal ball to just say that ah, if we do the no fly zone, uh, Russia then decides to back off because they don't want World War Three. 
Mm, that's always possible, but that sounds like kind of playing chicken. You know, the drunken teenagers who play chicken uh, shorten their life expectancy, and, and the human species might be shortening, or at least civilization might be shortening its life expectancy if it starts thinking that way. But speaking of World War III issues, um, uh, you know, I, I've spent the past 15 years well, even longer than that, really, but I've been intensively doing, you know, full-time work looking at the various uh, crimes and scandals of the Anglo-Zionist Empire, the U.S. Empire, whatever you want to call it. And uh, it does seem to me that it's obvious that we aren't the good guys in Ukraine or just about anywhere else, uh, to say the least. And I, I wonder if you've just one one. Uh, issue to call your attention to. Have you? You probably haven't looked at Ron Unz's ebook on COVID origins, but it puts forth a, a very, very strong case that COVID came out of a U.S. Um, attack on China and Iran. Uh, Robert Cadillac, the bioweapons are appointed by Trump, uh, is the world's leading proponent of the use of bioweapons as a de- deniable way of targeting adversary economies. And it's not just circumstantial evidence. There's actually a smoking gun. Uh, So given that and given the bioweapons issue in Ukraine and everywhere else, given the United States $100 billion bioweapons industry, it seems to me the real issue here is not so much just getting Ron Johnson with protection for COVID vaccine victims out there. It's it's shutting down the entire uh, biowar sector. Um, What's your take on that? Um, or are we going to make it uh, uh, unilateral or are we going to make it uh, multilateral? Obviously multilateral. Yeah, well, you know, that'd be great. Yeah, just put, in, put some teeth in, in the Biowar uh, Convention, the Biological Weapons Convention. Yeah, and as long as we can trust everybody, we're, we're, we're good to go. Well, that's the thing. You shouldn't have to trust them. There should, you know, it should be fully inspectable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, but we all know, how, you know, what happens there is that, yeah, you know, Come on in and let me show you around. Yeah, and that has happened, I guess, historically. It's it's a pretty uh, crazy uh, thing to study. I've I've only read maybe you know five or seven books or so on on that, uh, and still working on that. But um, in any case, it sure does uh, strike me as obvious that we need to try to figure out some way to put that bio war genie back in the bottle. Yeah, uh, well, yeah. yeah. I'd like to put the nuclear genie back in the bottle too. That too. And unfortunately, though, it has been our side that's actually been the bad guy in, in shredding the, the, the various uh, nuclear treaties um, and in tacitly you know, violating the Biowar Convention as well. Uh, but that's another topic for another time because I think we did hit pretty much the end of the hour. And I think you're doing fantastic work on the issues that you're working on. So, Steve Kirsch, thank you so much for coming on and I hope to have you back sometime meanwhile uh, I, I hope the, ideally I hope to have you back pretty soon to celebrate uh, your, your victory in this uh, attempt to uh, knock some truth in the people who are afraid to defend their own views on yeah. uh, vaccines and masks yeah. and such. Well, I'm, looking, I'm looking forward to that okay me too well thanks Steve take care okay. Steve Kirsch Kevin Barrett here this is Truth Jihad Radio TruthJihad.com is the website. Back again live next Saturday and before that at my Substack, which you can find by way of TruthJihad.com. Thank you for listening to Revolution.